0: Click, pay, and download instantly. Welcome to the podcast.
3: Welcome to Becoming Me While Raising You, sponsored by attorney Kelly Walling of Caperton Walling Law. This is the show where we learn about how to juggle our business life with peaceful parenting from moms that are doing just that. I'm your host, Kim Minch a certified parent coach, the founder of Real Life Parent Guide, and the author of the book, Becoming Me While Raising You, A Mother's Journey to Herself. Every day, I help moms who are striving to optimize their intuition and gain confidence in their parenting. As a mother of five, I've learned parenting is the greatest opportunity to grow ourselves up. On today's show, I'd like to introduce you to Shade Randolph, the owner and founder of Dynasty Dance Academy and Bad Babes in Business located in Flower Mound, Texas. Shade is on a mission to allow others to live free and authentic through creative expression. Dynasty Dance Academy Studio is a safe space for all dreamers and creators. Shade is also the mom of a stepdaughter who's 13 and daughters who are nine and two. Shade, welcome to Becoming Me While Raising You.
4: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
3: And I am so excited to hear about your professional journey. Tell us a little bit about how you got to Dynasty Dance Academy.
4: All right. So the story began when I was a young child. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was a natural born leader. Um, I'm from a family of five. So my, my mom had five kids as well. Um, and just being the oldest, I've always taken on that leadership role. So ever since I can remember, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. Um, once I went to college, I went to UNT and I majored in dance and I was on their dance team. And I did a year and it was just too political for me. So I started my own team on campus, and that really empowered me to continue to be the leader that I naturally was. And then from there, I went and started my own after-school programs for Louisville ISD. And that's when I really became a boss. I started managing a team of about seven to ten um, coaches and we did after-school dance classes in the schools. So we met the parents where they're at, which is something I wish I had when I was younger. Um, if we had that at school, I could have started dancing a lot earlier in my life. So from there, we um, decided to get a brick and mortar and flower mound since most of our schools are in that area. Um, it would just be a great place for my girls to come and practice and hang out together because the biggest reason why they join our program is they get to dance with their friends. So I wanted to have a hub, essentially a safe space um, for them to come and practice and rehearse and just grow in their own abilities and confidence.
3: And what ages do you serve? Are kids kindergarten through high school? What?
4: Yeah, so we started um, for the after school programs, it's kindergarten through fifth grade. And that's our bread and butter. And then um, I've also taught in like recreational centers when I first started my business, and I taught ages to basically to adults.
3: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, I, what types of all types of dance, or do you specify, or do you do a specific?
4: Different we kinds? do. Um, so we do creative movement. You know, jazz, ballet, hip hop. I love Palm Squad. So kind of like what you see. You know, in the middle of the halftime shows of the football games that we all love, um, that's my favorite thing to do. Um, but yeah, so we do anything from ballet all the way to adult dance fitness. So we also do adult dance classes, which is also fun.
3: I was going to say I had so much fun (laughs) in the class that I participated in. And well, you know, I'd like to think in my mind that I'm an amazing dancer. I do it around (laughs) my kitchen all the time, but, um, I actually think that dance, one of the other benefits that I see for adults is having to remember a sequence. I think Uh that was really good. That was really hard on my brain that night, but so much fun. So I, I want to yeah. put a plug in for adult dance. yes, yeah. well. yes.
4: I love teaching adults. It's so fun yeah. to see the women just relax and let go. I it was a it. great, it was a great
3: evening. So what lights you up about, you know, this, this
4: dance studio and helping girls learn to express themselves? Oh my gosh. Okay. That's a deep question. So. The biggest thing is just giving a girls a place to be themselves. So my dance studio is very different. Um, We do dance, of course, and we do technique and all the things that comes with the dance world. But the difference is they're allowed to be free. So there's no strict uniform policy. You know, I ask that you come in as you are, and that's what makes us different. I'm really big on living authentically because no one can be you and that's what I teach my little girls, and it really shows as they stay within our program. Our programs are about 12 weeks long, and I've had so many moms come and say, gosh, thank you. She started, she wouldn't talk to anybody, she was shy, and now she's confident. She's walking through the halls at her school with her back straight and her head held high, so that's really what lights me up, and then being a mom of daughters, um, and then You know, growing up and seeing my mom not being able to shine as bright as she should have um, really lights me up to see and pay it forward, like my mom did with us, raising us, and pay it forward to the next generation with my own girls and then with the community.
3: That's just incredibly beautiful. I love that. Uh, Tell me, though, are there challenges? Let's look at the opposite of this. What are some of the challenges of having your own business and, you know, building this, getting exposure? What, What are some of the difficulties?
4: Yeah, so there's always, you know, the other side of it. So I would say the biggest obstacles are... Um, the town of Flower Mound has a lot of other dance studios, so just kind of, and there's enough business to go around. I really believe that wholeheartedly. Um, so just kind of finding my own pocket in that lane, because I know what I bring to the table, but it's not until you come into our studio that you see the difference. And I think that's the biggest obstacle and hurdle along with just, you know, having to be away from my own girls at the times that I'm at the studio. And that's a great segue
3: into the other important role in your life, and that is being a mom. Tell yes. us a little bit about your family.
4: So being a mom is the most important role to me. Um, my mother taught me that, and it really has you know, carried over into my own parenting. Um, I love being a mom. I had my first daughter in 2012, and when I had her, I something changed in me, and I. that's when I started my business. That is the year I started DDA. So um, just being the role of a mom and having to kind of balance everything is, it can be difficult. Um, I think it's more mentally draining than physically, because I feel like I can do all the physical things, but the mental pull, the push and pull is really hard. So what do you do to help yourself, you know, be able to juggle these two really big parts of your life? What I do is try to get centered And take out all of the thoughts because we have all of this going on in our head all the time, um, no matter who you are, if you're a mom or not. So I think just being present, that is the biggest hurdle that I have to face because I'm such a go-getter and I am so driven. And I've been like this since nine years old. You can ask my parents. Um, So just being present. And when I find that I'm present, I go to bed at night and I can sleep. A lot better when I know that today was the day for the girls and I was there. I was present. I wasn't texting. I wasn't on social media. I wasn't sending emails. I was there. And same when I'm at the dance studio. You know, when I'm with my kids, I need to be present for those kiddos and those adults that take class with me.
3: That's so important. I I mean, being present in whatever you're doing. I I once saw a video where it was like, when you're washing dishes, wash the dishes, like be there, do the thing. And it is so crucial to our kids to be able to, for them to know energetically that we're there with them, we're available to them. Is that, do you think that is like your greatest parenting tip or what what would you say is one of the most important things
4: that parents can do? And just real quick before I answer that, kids know. So I was gonna say, cause I've even tried to fake it like I'm there, like I'm watching the movie with you, you know, but I'm not really watching the movie. So I think when you're gonna be present, just do it, like no matter what you're doing. Um, so my greatest parenting tip would be two things, be present and give yourself grace don't be so hard on yourself because that's something that I'm still uh, that's a big challenge for me because I'm so driven of such high standards that people are just like you're amazing what are you doing so just don't be so hard on yourself surround yourself with people that uplift you and I think that's my biggest parenting tip
3: I think that is fantastic and remaining present is really hard in this day and age like you said earlier yeah. there's so much coming at us and and we think there's so much coming at our kids in terms of information and whatnot, but so there is for all of us. And so to be able to quiet that, all the noise and mm-hmm. to be able to focus, and you are absolutely correct. Our kids, they they know more than, you know, and I can remember when my kids were little, you know, thinking that, oh, they're not really hearing what I'm saying. If I was talking about a stress or a problem or whatever, it, they knew exactly what was going on. They could feel it from yes. me. And it's not to say that as adults, we can't talk about our stressful things and whatever. It's just being mindful about what we're putting out in front of them mm-hmm. and also how we're handling our own stress. So, all oh, great tips. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Um, what about? Let's talk about moms who may be interested and, you know, coming to a place where they want to make a decision on either building or, you know, starting a business, building a business, switching careers. Maybe they've been home for a while. Give us some some good advice on if there's a mom that's about to make a big change in her career life.
4: All right. So, that brings up my other business, Bad Babes in Business. So, that is actually what we focus on. So, we're helping women that have like they have the urge to do something, but they may be scared or they may be in a certain predicament in their lives where they feel like they can't do it, which is absolutely false. You can do it. So, I would say if you're in a, if you're a mom, And you're just like, I'm really tired of working my eight to five. I would really like to do something, you know, start a business or a hobby or whatever. Um, I think that the biggest thing that you can do is start now and start where you are. If you wait, I'm telling you, you're going to wake up. It's next month. It's Christmas. It's Valentine's Day. And you're like, why didn't I do that? Or you see a friend that did it and how she propelled. Why didn't I do that? I have the same things that she has. And you do have the same things that she has. So I would say start small and start where you are because those small things, they just propel you to bigger and bigger and bigger things. And I will tell you as a mom, my daughter tells me every day she walks in the studio because she knows where I started in gyms, rec centers. And I love teaching there too. She goes, wow, mommy, I can't believe you're the boss of this. Mm. So I would say, Um, also mom guilt is a big one. I would say one of my friends gave me a great tip. She said when my mom was building her business, I was two or three and she was torn up about it. And I was like, mom, I don't even, I don't even remember when you were gone, but now I see you owning this, you know, business. So I would say, start now, start where you are. And I'm going to add to that. Just take the next right step. Yes.
3: Right. Just, just baby steps. Just take it, Just take that next step. Yes. So if someone is interested in learning more about Dynasty Dance Academy, Shadé, where can they get in touch with you?
4: All right, guys. So get your pens and pencils out. You can go to ddatexas.com. That has everything from our little baby classes all the way to our adult fitness classes.
3: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Becoming Me While Raising You. On behalf of Shadé and myself, Remember, mothers are the emotional barometers in their families, so taking care of you while you build your legacy is not a luxury, it's a necessity. My passion is to help moms create peaceful homes through happier, healthier relationships with their kids by working on themselves. If you're looking for support for your parenting journey, please reach out to me through my website, reallifeparentguide.com. Until next time, namaste.
0: If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review.
5: And hello again from WJ Live, powered by the Western Journal. I'm Josh Manning, Deputy Managing Editor for Assignment here at the Western Journal. Joining me today, Michael Austin, supervising writer or reporter or both for the Western Journal. <laughs> I'm whatever you want me to be, man. So <laughs> he's, he's fluid. He's yeah, fluid, I'm but fluid. not gender fluid. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other side is Tara Snyder. She's an intern for the Western Journal and will soon be beginning full time. Uh, thank you guys for being here today. Thank you for being with us and kicking off your week. With WJ Live, we have got, th- you know, normally we bring you three pieces every day. Uh, we've actually got uh, al- almost four. We've got uh, a couple of regular size pieces, a couple small ones, and uh, hopefully you enjoy the change-up today. We are going to be talking about Antifa. Antifa has uh, done it again. This time they've gone after a church, and uh, it- it's really convoluted. After they went after the church, another supposed church, came in and attacked the church Antifa went after. And there's some interesting things about that church we want to tell you about. Very confusing, very bad, essentially, for America, (laughs) just in general. We also want to talk with you about a candidate running for the U.S. House of Representatives who has decided there's a group of people we should be able to shoot. He said, anyone in this group we should be able to shoot. We're going to do a quickie on that. And then also, we want to take you to France and tell you what's happening over there as far as COVID restrictions go, what's happening with their lockdowns. Finally, Michael's going to wrap us up with information about some citizens who are fighting back. A uh, Almost an entire city council is being recalled. And uh, it, that is an exciting thing to see. When you see these school board meetings go bad, when you see... Uh, you know, we used to see the listening tours that uh, congressmen would go on those going bad. It is good to see people fighting back. That is an important thing, but first off let 's talk Antifa and the tale of two churches, Tara, take it away.
6: Oh, yeah, so if you guys were at all on Twitter this weekend, this was probably the number one story. Um, Andy Neo went out and was recording Antifa as usual, and it was absolutely insane as usual. So some evangelicals were gathered outside discussing the Lord, you know, having a nice service, and Antifa decided it was the best opportunity to show up. And so they went and said, uh, and met these people, and of course were violent, dressed in black like the ninjas they think they are, yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and they, the worshipers met them and they said, quote, what are you mad about? And we speak peace to you in Jesus' name. And one Antifa member actually went up on stage and grabbed the microphone and said, all cops are bastards in the name of Jesus, Amen. <laughs> Um, then they went on to pepper spray individuals, including toddlers and young children. During a church service. Yeah, during a church service. And they said, where is your God now? So, wow, I, that's pretty blatant. I mean, we've known that they hate Christianity for quite some time. And they also hurled chunks of concrete. So uh, we do have a montage clip of all of this going on.
2: Go, go, hit that car! Go. Yeah. Yeah. Worship event, and people uh, just rolled
7: in like an angry mob, started throwing flash bombs at everybody, macing everybody, rotten eggs had everybody, um, black paint. Um, they
6: threw a flash bomb into a group of
8: kids that were out there um, from like four months old to like
0: 10. Um, yeah, they were ruthless. Really-
6: so yeah, those are a few of the main clips there. And I'm not sure, I mean, we all saw the, the sound equipment that was being dumped over. They actually threw all of that sound equipment in the river.
9: Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That uh, typical Antifa just running in, not asking questions, destroying anything that isn't a (laughs) far left... message. Anything that doesn't have a pride flag. Everything that <laughs> everything that doesn't have a pride yeah. flag or BLM have a painted rainbow on it. And it's yeah, yeah.
6: and they even were making threats before the event started saying, quote, you won't like it here pastor on Twitter, which is just amazing and the police actually didn't get involved and kind of just let this happen, well, yeah. which is, of
2: course. No, which really. is like, In
9: Portland, the yeah. police didn't get involved?
6: Well, I guess when <laughs> half the you force half the police force to resign, I guess everyone else is kind of just like well, good yeah. luck, you decided to live here yeah. now. Um, but we do have another video, and this is later in the day where they're launching fireworks at an intersection. So that's pretty shocking. That seems like something you'd see in like a third world country where people are running around lawlessly launching things into the air. Don't you think that's pretty ridiculous?
5: The uh, yeah, it, well, you sort of wonder what the goal of doing that at night is. The the thing with the church and the sound equipment and all of that is what's amazing to me because uh, do we have any idea what it was about this group that uh, why it was that Antifa targeted these people?
6: I I believe that there were some politicians who went along with the group um, but I think that because those politicians were going to this evangelical event, I think that that's kind of what drew their so attention. that was their reasoning yeah. for when they could disrupt yeah. it. That okay. was their motive, but I think it would be wrong to discredit that this was an attack on Christ because these people were oh, literally sure, sure. saying, you know, um, where is God now? Yeah. Like, is Jesus going to save you? Like, those type of things. Um, so anyways, now we have this new pastor that, of course, is acting as the savior for the left because they don't have one, and it's yeah. Reverend chuck curie and he claimed that this was not a religious exercise and it was not a worship group and i think i have a tweet talking about this one of his tweets so he's this is a christian minister from portland here this was no family christian prayer event it was a far right political rally organized by a failed mega congressional candidate from california just assume everything andy no tweets is made up so I saw that tweet, and, I, and I, a little red flag went off in my brain. And I was like, usually when the left is retweeting a pastor, something's probably a little shaky or a yeah. little off there. And yeah. so I actually looked into this pastor and his church, and uh, I, have another, I have another clip full of tweets. And here we see what his church actually believes in. So we see the, the tweet on your left there that says that they're going for a reparations now because... Mm of course. Um, I think that has some anti-biblical practices. No, 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 wrong. Jesus
9: was always calling for reparation. Oh,
6: yeah, know. Jesus was a socialist. I forgot. I just yeah. missed that section. <laughs> um, then you see the United Church of Christ, which is where this guy is a so-called preacher, and of course, they have the LGBT flag behind it, and pride didn't end on July 1st. Come and show your community love, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I think I remember this one. This one rings a bell. Um, Pride's a sin, right? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I thought that one was obvious, but, hmm. Well,
5: I don't know. I mean, if he goes by the Reverend Dr. Chuck, whatever it is. (laughs) Reverend Dr. The the more, yeah, the more prefixes and initials after a name, the less you should trust the person. Yeah, this is... um, it's a bastardization of Christianity and the faith. I mean, obviously what he's saying is uh, they are driving, for, for one thing, essentially a homosexual agenda, which is completely unbiblical, um, wildly unbiblical. Uh, but you look like you were wanting to get in.
9: No, yeah, no, I agreed with all of that. And it, the point that really sticks out to me is even if it were a far-right event, a far-right worship service... That doesn't justify what Antifa did. You know, they should all be arrested. Like that, they have a political aim. They're seeking to use violence to achieve that aim. They're terrorists and they're terrorizing yep. the whole city and all of these lefties like this reverend they keep trying to provide cover for antifa because they believe in the cause but you know these people are sick and demented and as all hell and they just they need to be locked up but unfortunately the portland police force isn't going to do anything because they have their hands tied because the city of portland is as far left as it could possibly get
6: yeah and I know I brought this up to Josh earlier today, and I saw something about them rewriting the Bible or doing a new translation, and they added like the the new standard edition revised oh, yeah. copy of Social Justice Warrior, whatever. <laughs> and so Marxist I think, yeah, the Marxist interpretation. And I just like that's another key thing because we know that the Bible isn't meant to be changed. There's nothing to be added or revised. And I'm pretty sure that anyone who does that is in danger of losing his 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 life or being you know damned to hell. So. I I just don't see how they're missing all of these like key issues.
5: Well, it's yeah. easy to miss things when you're when you're trying to. Uh, you yeah. know, they they don't want they don't want to be involved with biblical Christianity. They find that intolerant and bigoted and most of all they find it inconvenient for themselves Mm -hmm. uh they would rather promote sin and a sinful life well
9: that's the whole point of progressive christianity is just to kind of use the authority of christianity and then to append sort of a cultural interpretation of that social causes the authority doesn't lie within the biblical text for these people the authority lies in our cultural um the lens in which we interpret scripture and Mm -hmm. so What does scripture mean? Well, anything that we say it means according to what the norms are today. So, you know, LGBT, that's really a big movement today. Therefore, everything in the Bible that's anti-LGBT, it has to be read as though that's not literal.
6: Yeah, and and everything on the left is your truth. So if your basis for reality is your truth, I guess that's where you end up.
5: We've said... Many times on the show before, uh, to the left, a lie is the truth, as long as it advances leftism. And and that's the deal with this. All of what these people are saying is just utter lies. Um, but they feel like they advance a leftist ideology. And so they become truth to them. All right. So thank you, Tara. Next up, got a couple of small pieces here for you. Normally we do a full uh, a full segment here for the next Five minutes we're going to do one, and then the next five minutes we'll do another one. First off, we've got to talk about Steve Cox. Steve Cox is running for Congress in California. He's running for the U.S. House of Representatives. And Steve went uh, on Twitter, and uh, I don't know if it was against his better judgment or if this is his better judgment, but he went on Twitter and wrote the following. And we can put it up on screen. Maybe not. There There it is. Whenever anyone says we all die from something, or a variation thereof, to justify not taking precautions to help protect others in this pandemic, we should be allowed to shoot them. (laughs) Why are you crying? We all die from something. For you, it's the bullet in your gut. So he was responding to Matt Walsh, and you can see Walsh's tweet underneath. Walsh had essentially said, look, COVID's here to stay. We've got to make our peace with it. Yeah. Uh, Which I've... I've been thinking that for a very long time. There are lots of things that are here to stay. The flu is here to stay. Cancer, uh, best we can tell for now, unfortunately, is here to stay. Diabetes Mm -hmm. is here to stay. We're working on these things, but we haven't gotten a fix for them yet. And the the same is going to be true with COVID, I fear. So Walsh was just trying to add a practical sentiment to what is an incredibly emotionally fraught topic. And um, (laughs) Steve Cox decided to get in there and say, you know, look, if you're not taking this seriously enough, if you're playing this off, uh, then we should really be allowed to shoot you. Yeah. Now, this is interesting. Michael, you and I were talking about this before the show. You know, he's running in California. This then poses the question, who would be doing the shooting since people in California don't have guns? The best I can figure is that's the people of the state of California yeah. or the federal government. The government. I'm not sure which. Uh,
9: you know what? Gosh, just what's your gut response to this? Um, look, this guy is an independent running in California, and so my gut response is, you know, this COVID craze, this frenzy, is not in ice. You know, the the left has helped this thing infect. Everything and so there's there's a lot of people that are falling victim to this now. Even though COVID ranks below cancer, ranks below Alzheimer's, ranks below accidents in terms of what's killing people today. So
5: yeah, you know, I was looking uh, over the weekend. I was looking at California's at Australia's numbers. You know, they're using the military to enforce a lockdown there. Up till uh, so far, I don't think they've broken a thousand deaths total not <laughs> a thousand deaths yeah. total they have got an unbelievably low rate they're using the military to do it they have bought into this fear that is un- it just incredible so Tara, when you see a guy who wants the power of the united states congress say you know look uh i disagree with these people we really ought to be able to shoot them how about a bullet in the gut uh you know what do you think
6: Well, first, I'd say, where's your critical thinking skills? Because I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Well, he is
5: running for Congress, so they're not required.
6: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a scientist. But I think on a normal level, if I had to choose between um, getting a bullet in the gut or my chances of surviving COVID-19, I think that your chances of surviving COVID-19 are a lot higher. And so I think, again, we're just seeing a false equivalency here because it doesn't take a rocket science to look at that and go, oh, you know what? That doesn't make sense. And I think that this candidate should go back to first grade and probably check your work, reread it over before he goes and publishes it on Twitter because, no. I'm sorry, he probably just ended his campaign as an independent.
5: Yeah, he, I looked over his page and he's got all kinds of different views. It's, it's really, it's kind of bizarre in places. Uh, He does want to lower taxes on uh, the middle class and lower class, wants to raise raise taxes on the wealthy. He he seems to be pro-gun, which I guess makes sense, since he wants to shoot a whole bunch of people. Uh, California, you should expect sort of soup and nuts out there, but uh, (laughs) this guy, this is a new level. This is a new level, and remember, when people go to Congress. We're giving them power. We're allowing them to have power. It's an unbelievably dangerous thing. So let's spin around the world from Steve Cox's California dystopia, California dystopia, to France's present COVID dystopia. Uh, We put a story together on this earlier today. Tara and I were talking about it. And I said, Tara, the way we need to start the title for this, the way we need to begin the title for this story is It's Starting Colon. And it does appear to be starting. We have video captured by a Reuters stringer in, uh, I think he's in Paris. He's certainly in France. Uh, Anthony Payone, or Peone, not sure how you pronounce it. Um, sorry, Tony. Um, but he got video of police officers beginning to interfere with uh, diners, beginning to accost people and demand their COVID papers. We've got the video. Uh, let's roll it now. Papers, please. You know, the last time that, uh, you heard papers, please in Paris, uh, (laughs) it was not under favorable (laughs) circumstances, uh, and the Parisians, the French in general, they are not having this. They have been revolting and rebelling for days and days over this, um, the idea of papers, please, that phrase has always been used to describe totalitarian or authoritarian governments. That's what was used yeah. to, to describe experiences in the Soviet Union. That is not what's supposed to happen in Western democracies. And but that is what has happened with COVID. Tara, I want to ask you, Was COVID a dream come true for leftists trying to seize power?
6: Oh, it's an absolute dream come true this is the perfect opportunity for them to grandstand and do what they want because as we know uh, the leftist platform for a a really long time has been we're the party of the people we support everyone kumbaya (laughs) and then Republicans always got kind of the short end of the the stick because they were saying well let's cut back on our spending I don't think we can do that that's probably not rational and yeah and now they get to claim the uh, higher ground for responsibility of people's health and caring for people and so when you have this top down control of being like oh we care about grandma and your family that's perfect for them because it requires no critical thinking whatsoever
5: yeah uh, michael do they
9: come out of this or is this here to stay oh this is here this is here to stay like there's <laughs> <laughs> in France, I mean the way they're so in France, maybe not because the way they're protesting is extraordinary. Yeah, they're ticked, they're re- off, <laughs> yeah. they're really they're and you know the the government there was pressured into kind of pulling back yeah. the their new law a little bit. The fines were reduced a little bit. There were some other small changes made. You know, it's still a horrible mess. But no, once once the government gets a certain amount of power, it wants to keep that power, and it's amazing to look at where we are today. And imagine a few months ago or oh, probably a year ago when they all were like, oh, they're never going to mandate vaccine passports. You guys are crazy. You guys are conspiracy theorists. We're never going to do that. And those same people now are saying it, we all need to do that. <laughs> we need yeah. to mandate vaccine. Passports. Our, our predictions in the past about what the
5: left was trying to do. At first, they were 50 years early. Yeah. Then they got to where they were about 25 years early, then 10 years, five years. Folks, we're about six months now. You can predict the worst thing possible that the left will do. And then about six months, they seem to roll it out. It is it is unbelievably scary. We, Tara and I were looking at uh, uh, Peon's tweets there. He was reporting the first fine for a violation of being out without your COVID papers in France. The, the first fine, I think, is under 100 euros. The second fine is up to 9,000 euros. Yeah. Nine. So a pretty steep climb there. But folks, if you think this is not coming to the U S you're crazy. It's already happening in New York. We've seen, we've got a story we're working on right now about people rebelling in great Britain. There's a mob that uh, tried to take over a government broadcasting building. Who uh, was ticked off about COVID lockdowns and restrictions. Uh, the spirit of freedom is still out there kicking um i I hope we recapture that without having to resort to violence and it's like we it, does,
9: it we don't even have to point to new york's you know the the what they're doing in that state the eviction moratorium is a federal oh, yeah. law it's draconian it gives yeah. the CDC a public health organization like complete power and control over the housing industry that's yeah. crazy
5: yeah. yeah yeah we've never ever had that in in the history of of the united states so let's swing back to the u.s from france and let's actually get really local we are back in california
9: but we've got some californians who are rebelling now yes huntington beach so there's a group of kind of conservative citizens of huntington beach that are extremely pissed off Mm -hmm. and they recently served Aren't we all (laughs) aren't we all they recently served six huntington beach city council members with um basically notices of recall campaigns with like, you know, dozens of signatures and so there officially there will be recall um efforts petitions going into effect Mm. and from there there could be recall votes and you know a lot of those city council members which all the ones petitioned were liberals the one conservative oh. on the city council did not get a notice of <laughs> so six recall. out of the seven so there's seven on Yes. Uh, there may be a couple I think I think there was a couple ones. more there's one that did not get a um, notice of recall because she hasn't been on the council long enough okay. and then there's one one I believe he's a man that's on the council that didn't get one okay. because he's conservative okay <laughs> so okay. he's not pushing for the policies that the other council members
5: are. so about 75 percent of the count uh, of yeah so what sparked
9: do we know exactly what sparked it or was it a a, um, a litany of things there's a number of things but the main reason is these zoning laws that the state is kind of the state of california is forcing all these cities to implement and huntington beach you know there was a lawsuit filed to prevent the state from forcing them to do that but all of those council members agreed mm. you know they went against the lawsuit they agreed the state should do that and basically what these zoning laws are going to do is it's going to mandate that the city build all these high-rise apartment buildings all over Huntington Beach in this, you know, in this area with, you know, small family beachfront homes. It's going to totally shift how, um, what life is like in that city. And, you know, those citizens are pretty angry about it.
5: That is remarkable since you look at places like San Francisco where they haven't built any new residents I think in decades, you know, they've had a moratorium on building, which is why things are so unbelievably expensive there. Now they are outsourcing this to... They don't want more building in the big communities,
9: so they're now forcing smaller communities. You know, what they don't realize is (laughs) they keep keep just ordering these zoning laws and doing this and that, when really if they just open things up to the free market, the homelessness problem is going to get solved if they do that and you know, uh, institutionalized people that can't take care of themselves and enforce yeah. the law.
5: You can't walk into a Walgreens, clean out the shelves, walk out and just yeah. expect to get away. But scot-free. you know,
9: it's not just the zoning laws. There are lots of policies that these people are really pissed, you know, that are being implemented in their city. And we have uh, someone who spoke out at, uh, to the city council members. This is what she's kind of had to say about that. And we're gonna For 20 that clip years,
2: there. I've been letting the community know, council members know, we're turning into L.A., and that is a fact that nobody wants to hear. The homeless issue is not getting any better. But you see the council members back in my old city of Maywood patting each other on the back like they did a great job. But the, the homelessness is just as bad. The schools are just as terrible. The, they're not safe. We don't even have a police department over there. They convinced the community we didn't need the police department. Who did the thriving? The gangbangers, the criminals. We lost our kids to drugs and gangbangs. Gangbangers and now they're in jail. I have friends that are in jail right now. Because city council didn't do anything. We weren't loud enough. We
9: so it's all of these liberal policies are just continuing to cause these cities to deteriorate into chaos. You know, there's and there's no path to success for the for the underprivileged because the schools are horrible. You know, there's no way out. (laughs) There's lots of opportunities to get into drugs and get into gangs. And so that just it it kind of puts a ceiling on what people can succeed and how people how much people can succeed in those areas. And when it came to the recall of Gavin Newsom, it seemed like, oh, okay people are waking up now. And then after a few months, it was like, well, maybe they were pissed at Newsom. But people in California, they're going to revert to the norm. They're going to continue to vote for the same things over and over again. But, you know, this kind of shows that the. The recall with Newsom—that's not gonna, that sentiment that was driving that—is not going to go away anytime soon. You know, people are calling out council members here. People are pissed. People are leaving California in droves for places like Texas, yep. Um, yep. so Arizona. Yeah, yeah. In Arizona. Which you know, stay, don't come here. <laughs> <Unless it's> me <laughs> and, and please, you know, be, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> be smart enough to not bring the policies with you that exactly. forced you to leave yeah. in the first place. Exactly. But this story for me, what it gives me is a lot of hope. A lot of hope for California. A lot of hope for the U.S. in general. In that, you know, citizens are not going to stand by once they see that these policies are failing year after year, decade after decade. They're not going to stand by and continue to let it, you know, happen. So, what do you guys? Do you guys think that California? There is a chance that it could return. It could be read once again someday, like, I don't know, 10 years down the
1: road.
6: You know, I think it'll be uh, Minnesota during I think when Reagan was elected, where everyone else like went red and then Minnesota was blue. Yeah. I think that same thing is going to happen in California for oh, quite a bit yeah. until they drive out their entire population and then people <laughs> which just which
9: is which is yeah, happening yeah
6: until like every <laughs> single person's a darn gone good job yeah until every single person's gone and then America decides you know what would be a great idea going to that deserted state that used to exist 500 years ago we can move back now yeah, yeah. like maybe yeah. then. Those pioneers will be red, but... <laughs>
5: so essentially what I've always said, if you could just flush the hippies out yes. of California, you'd have an, an actually a decent decent little place to live. Yeah,
6: Silicon Valley dominates everything.
5: Yeah, and the, and of course they have their own gates, they have their own security forces, they, <laughs> they have yeah. their own palatial mansion. None of the problems that most of you folks who are watching, and I know the three of us have... None of those things apply to the folks in Silicon Valley, yeah, the course. big tech people. Uh, yet, because of unbelievably huge numbers of leftists in those organizations, they're able to direct incredible amounts of funds to Democrats, to leftists, to advance their policies over yeah. the wishes and over the, um, the, <laughs> yeah. uh, what would be good for the voters in general. Uh, it, it's, it is alarm. So one thing I was thinking about what, as, uh, as Michael was talking, um, they're really dominated by the left now, Tara, and you've got homelessness like crazy gangbangers taking over no cops. Is it, can we really say, can the left really say with any credibility that they are the group that supports compassion and helping the little guy? When it's the little guy here who's really getting screwed every which way.
6: I just don't. I don't see that on any other level. I mean, the narrative has been, as I've said this entire podcast, has been that they're the party of charity and outreach, and so I think that that's so ingrained into society where it's not going to matter anymore. And just on a second note off of that, for a party that's so consumed with privilege and how much privilege you have, you have to have quite a bit of privilege to think, oh, I'm going to defund the police for the people Mm. below me. You know, yeah, when you can good. afford your own that's security good. detail, it's not a concern for you. Yeah, and I, I, think,
9: I think you could say the left is the party of compassion in that they kind of, they exemplify kind of the devouring mother. You know, they care so much, they spend so much time hugging their kids so tightly that they end up strangling them to death. Like, they don't know, they don't realize that sometimes help Like, if you help too much, that can make things much, much worse, especially if you're not using your head, you're not using facts to help influence, you know. You got to look – you can't just look at what a policy means to do. You got to look at what a policy – what the actual effects are, and they Mm -hmm. never do that. And so they care – but their caring is killing people. You, so I tend to think of that as the
5: liberal take on things less than the leftist take on things. That that yeah. sounds more like the liberal take on things. And I'm willing to have that argument with people, like, how much of a safety net should we have? Mm-hmm. But the left itself is it, – it's not quite the consuming mother. It is a uh, – it's more like a black hole, yeah, that, that just sucks in yeah. anything and everything it
6: can. And I think too, the difference off of that, you know, with the leftist liberal debate, is it used to be a thing where, oh, I believe in equality, and now you're a bigot if you believe in equality. You have to believe in equity, and so that's what all of their policies are yeah. doing. So you know what? Maybe they are logically consistent in, in the fact that they're making everyone as miserable, like equally miserable.
5: I yeah. I had a professor in college who was unbelievably sharp, and he once made the comment: "You know, the left would rather rather than some people make a hundred thousand a year and some people make fifty thousand a year, the left would rather everyone make ten thousand a year." Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. that is true, and it is terrifying. They they do stand for equity, they do stand for equality, but it is equality of misery mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and that's I think people in California when you you saw that woman speaking you yeah. can hear the passion in her voice this was someone who was staring that misery in the face
9: yeah, mm-hmm. and was terrified one of my favorite Jordan Peterson quotes of all time is when he's talking about some communist regime probably Venezuela or something like that and he says, you know, everyone was equal because they had the same amount of rats to gnaw on. So yeah. there's your equity for you folks. <laughs> that, I mean, and seriously, that's where this goes. We've seen it before.
5: There's never been a version of this. There's never been a version of hardcore socialism, of communal living that has actually mm-hmm. worked, uh, not at scale anyway. I mean, you can get a bunch of hippies gathered around a pond yeah. for a few months. Yeah, maybe at scale, yeah, yeah, scale, nothing. Yeah, yeah, at scale, nothing. Then there's certainly not equality yeah. in the. In, in and the if world. You move Into
9: Huntington Beach, if you force these people to destroy these, you know, family-friendly neighborhoods by building up all these high-rise apartment buildings, it is not going to improve the lives of homeless people. One, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. They don't get. They care enough to build them, but they don't care enough to look into if this will actually help in the long term. If their Mm -hmm. lives will get any better, they don't care about any of that. So
5: that's it for us today, folks. On that happy note, (laughs) (laughs) let's end on a true happy note. There is hope there is hope we've seen multiple ways today on this show where people are standing up and fighting back take encouragement from that be encouraged take some hope from it and just know we are going to be there fighting with you every step of the way thank you for fighting with us we appreciate it thank you for watching thank you for spending time over at westernjournal.com we're so grateful to you if you feel led to support us uh then support the work we do directly you can go to westernjournal.com/join westernjournal.com/join and you can sign up there to partner with us and help fund the vital journalism that we do uh also if you're watching on YouTube be sure to click the subscribe button once you click it a bell icon will pop up click that bell and that's going to make sure that you get notified every time the show comes on Uh, That's going to be it for us today. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 Pacific. For Michael Furtara, for everybody in the booth, and everybody at the Western Journal, I'm Josh Manning. Thanks. We're going to see you Wednesday.
1: WJ Live is a show powered by the Western Journal, a Christian conservative news site equipping readers with the truth. The Western Journal is free to read, but if you'd like to support us even further, you can subscribe to our site and receive exclusive benefits like ad-free reading, discounts on our merch at the Patriot Depot, and even an equipping readers with the truth mug. Subscriptions start as low as $5 a month. To subscribe, go to westernjournal.com backslash join. Your support helps us in fighting big tech censorship across all platforms. Thank you for listening. See you next time.
10: episode, please leave us a review on iTunes.
11: ...pm on Making Money, the five-star...
12: Hello, everyone. I'm Dana Perino, along with Katie Pavlich, Jessica Tarlov, Will Kane, and Greg Gutfeld. It's 5 o'clock in New York City. This is The Five. The mainstream media being accused of a major double standard over its covid coverage outlets facing criticism for hardly mentioning Barack Obama's 60th birthday party this weekend in Martha's Vineyard, where leaked photos showed the former president dancing without a mask among a celebrity filled crowd. One New York Times writer facing backlash for how she is defending the scaled down celebration. Other people
6: said, you know, this is really being overblown. They're following all the
7: safety precautions. People are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. This is going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd. And, and this is just about optics. It's not
13: about safety.
12: The press taking a different approach when it comes to GOP governors by directly blaming them for the spread of the new coronavirus strength.
13: Greg Abbott is in a race to be the worst possible governor in the country. And if the only one he's got competition with right now is Governor DeSantis of Florida.
1: Instead of the Delta variant,
13: why
0: not call it the DeSantis variant?
12: In Florida, we have a governor more interested in playing politics than saving lives. The DeSantis variant. So I don't care. I'm glad that the president had a birthday party. I think it's good for him. He, if you're vaccinated, you want to have a party and you invite people to your house, like that's fine. He's not in charge of anybody. He's not telling anybody what to do. But Greg, was this like the most Marie Antoinette thing we have seen since Gavin Newsom went to the French Laundry? I uh,
13: I just want to know. Where did they scale stuff back? Like they Larry said, David
12: didn't come. Uh, yes, they had <laughs> yeah. to, instead
13: of uh, three Kardashians, they said, we're putting the limit on two. <laughs> and there's going to be no bottle service at the helipad. That was it. That was it. But, I'm, I'm I, you know, look, Obama just told the rest of America, don't just live your life. Live your best life. Yep. That's what he's telling you. He goes, I am having a massive birthday party. I'm telling you, half the people there, he didn't even know. Right. But he was he wasn't going to change anything. But now he's got to do something else, because the problem with him is he had a massive bash while uh, the unvaccinated rates in the in the cities among blacks remains near 70 percent. And he is somebody who could change that. So while you're done with the party, why don't you do something? Why don't you create some kind of free speaking tour? Right. Invite some of your famous friends. And the only entrance fee is that when you're in line, you get vaccinated. He could go to every, every inner city, whether you want to do man, you know, Manhattan or Oakland, D.C., Atlanta, Detroit, Harlem, Bronx, whatever. The impact would be incredible. He could really do something, uh, but instead, you know, he's going to have a party. As for these other idiots, uh, um, you know, it was great to watch Acosta think that that was clever. What if we call it the, uh, what was the uh, DeSantis? Uh, the DeSantis? It was like that. Actually, like he took one from column A and another thing from column B, and he put it together, and he thought, that's really edgy. And then you have that dumb broad from the mornings doing the same thing. Can't remember her name.
12: <laughs> well, and also, well, as soon as you heard uh, Annie Carney of The New York Times, basically trying to protect celebrities from any scorn by saying, but they're sophisticated. And That's a then,
14: sophisticated crowd.
12: Yeah, not, yes. like, not like those people that went on a right. motorcycle ride in Sturgis. Right. Let's be
14: clear about who we're talking about here. These are sophisticated people, <laughs> vaccinated people. The only thing I disagree with, Greg, is I'm happy that President Obama is living his best life, but he's not encouraging others to live their best by, life. But that's what I'm saying. By his own actions, he is. He is by his actions, but by his political party's words and by his political ideology, they are blatantly saying there are two classes of people in this world. Danny, you laid it out perfectly. Look, this is a sequel to a very bad movie. This is COVID part two, the Delta variant. We mm-hmm. saw it all through the first version. As you mentioned, Gavin Newsom going to the French laundry. We now have Muriel Bowser officiating web, uh, weddings, maskless while instituting a mask, man in, in DC. And here we have them talking about masking our children in schools in this coming school year, while President Obama has a party with four to five hundred people largely maskless. Great. Live your best life. Mm-hmm. May we live our best life exactly. as well? Yeah. yeah
13: exactly.
7: What do you think of all of this? I want a party. <laughs> I think everybody should be living their lives normally. I think that they should be moving on uh, with whether it's Sturgis or whether it's President Obama having a party. The problem is that the White House, the CDC... Democratic governors around the country are still have they still have a boot on people's livelihoods because they're so threatening that if you don't do this or if you don't do not do this, we're going to shut your business down or we're going to implement a mandates on you. And the idea that they they do want to put two year olds and children in school in masks for hours on end without any real data to back up that it actually works, by the way, I think is really appalling. And when you look at the standard, the media has a sophisticated vaccinated <laughs> crowd. Uh, This is a class war. You know, it's Nancy Pelosi wants hairdressers to work in California when you're doing her hair. The DJ at the Obama party can DJ for a large group of 500 people during COVID as long as he's working for President Obama for a party. But if you're a DJ who wants to do a regular Italian wedding in New Jersey, well, there's going to be restrictions on you and we're not going to allow you to work. And the bottom line is that this is still America and Americans are not subjects. They are citizens and they certainly are not peasants who are are supposed to play by a separate set of rules than the elitist ruling class in Washington Or in Hollywood, and that's exactly what this is. Because there are there are real consequences for working people who are worried about losing their job, again, as a result of what people like this and the decisions that they are making for their lives.
12: Jessica, do you think President Obama could do something more in terms of helping um, Black Americans become more comfortable getting the vaccine?
8: I think honestly, all of us could always do something more. That it's an opportunity. I like Greg's idea. I mean, I not a black American, but I would get vaccinated a second time if it meant that I could go see Barack Obama speak. We can all do more. And this was a big conversation early on in the pandemic when the vaccine was coming about how the people that we really need to be out there talking about it uh, for black and brown communities are are people that matter to those communities. So Jay-Z and Beyonce and LeBron James and what a big deal it was when NBA players, you know, had one shot and not the second shot and ended up in protocols. And it's confusing. I mean, this is a confusing disease. And you say it's a terrible sequel, the Delta variant. It's really terrible, though. I mean, when I don't, I'm not calling it the DeSantis strain, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are now hospitalized in Florida and a lot of them children. And this is what 20 percent of the new cases of Delta are amongst children. And that's why it's so important that adults are getting vaccinated, that you do your part and you do that to protect your children who are not approved to have the vaccine yet. So I'm all for a full court press on the vaccination front. But I do agree if he wants to have a party, he should have it. It was outside Mm -hmm. where we know that it doesn't get passed in the same way. (laughs) Sturgis is also outside. But if you watched, I don't know if anyone watched Bill Maher last weekend, but he shouted out Lollapalooza, which was also a huge yeah. violation, a hundred thousand people, and I appreciate that from the liberal side. Call out the big party in Chicago. Don't just call out a motorcycle rally and how about we don't well, call out anybody and let people make their own no, decisions at this point about how they want to manage are, their own risks. But because they are taking a toll on, first of all, our health care system. I hear that from conservatives all the time. I don't want to pay for your decisions. We're paying for what's going on in these ICUs. We are. Every single one of them. People are oh, on ventilators.
13: Oh, a, you know, we've been, we've been doing that for 40, 50 years with cigarettes.
8: And obesity.
13: Yeah. But I, I, you know what? I think it, it would be good to hear Governor DeSantis respond to what you're saying, because I never hear the numbers. Like, what's the exact number of the children in these hospitals? That's exactly the point. Brian. Yeah, I don't know the I numbers. And 20%. Also, I, I don't know. And also it's like, well, we know that these kids aren't supposed to be vaccinated. And so what are we supposed to be doing? But I, I would love to know exactly what the numbers are, because I always feel like they're not telling us.
14: That's exactly right, Greg. I don't think this is a story about vaccination. This is a story about reality. The point is the elites, like President Obama, are not living like Delta variant is this incredibly scary thing that your language represented there, Jessica. And when we make decisions for our children, when we make decisions for our children, and I'm saying this in all honesty and curiosity, I have to make decisions. I want to know the numbers that Greg points out. I want to know what's the hospitalizations and the mortality for Delta and the rest of COVID in the numbers, because what I have seen is it's less lethal. It has less of effect on hospitalizations than the common flu.
8: OK, well, we do know that it is not a problem for people who are vaccinated. So if you're watching, please get yourself vaccinated if you're 12 and over. We do know that there are more cases of children that's being reported in states like Florida, in liberal states as well as California, New York, Arkansas. There was a doctor there who was pleading for people to get vaccinated because they are completely overrun. So I believe that the numbers are available. I will text you later when I have them awesome. all.
14: Let's do it on Jessica, air. Jessica,
12: yeah. you are awesome. All right. Ahead, carnage and Chicago after a police officer is gunned down in the line of duty after just a routine traffic stop.
0: It's the most important
5: crime
13: of the 20th century. What you see is not what you really see. What could be more consequential than the death, the murder of the president of the United States? We still have JFK records being held secret by U.S. government agencies.
14: Let people see the evidence.
9: Give the public the truth. JFK, the conspiracy continues. Streaming now on Fox Nation. Part of Fox Files all
0: this month on Fox Nation. Sign up now from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to Everyone Talks to Liz. Fox Business's Liz Clayman. talks with entrepreneurs and executives about inspiring and motivational stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
14: Criminals getting more brazen in Chicago after a police officer is gunned down during a routine traffic stop. 29-year-old Officer Ella French was killed in the line of duty while her partner remains in critical condition after being shot three times. Sadly, the carnage doesn't end there. This past weekend alone, 73 people were shot and 10 were killed in the Windy City. Despite this out-of-control violence, Democrat Cory Bush is doubling down on her call to defund police.
7: You said you have your own security while almost in the same breath advocating for defunding the
12: police. The reason why we have these problems is because those that were in power and could have fixed this problem before now didn't and cost it cost lives. We're adding more money to the police, but but we're still dying. So something has to
1: change.
14: so, you know, Katie, we just got done talking about essentially two classes of people in this country, elites. Cori Bush's position, it seems to be when it comes to the police and personal protection, is that she is more important than everyone else. Her position doesn't seem to be just let them eat cake. It's let them eat lead.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, Officer Ella French wanted to be make a difference in her community. She signed up for this dangerous job in one of the most dangerous cities in the entire world. And she woke up that day to go do her job and to try and help. And she got a call that ended her life. And there are dozens of other officers around the country who have suffered the same fate. And you have the mayor making statements. And you have people like Corey Bush who have implemented this leftist ideology in cities across the country at the mayor, the mayor level, at the prosecu- prosecution level. And criminals are in charge. And it doesn't seem like they're doing anything to make sure... Uh, that this doesn't keep happening. And, you know, Cory Bush keeps arguing. She wants more social workers to be involved. Well, call a social worker to deal with a dangerous situation where someone will respond to a traffic stop uh, with lethal force. Yeah. And there are police officers every day who get up uh, to serve their communities, to make a difference. They don't go home. They have families, too. And if you want to really understand how this all went down, listen to the police scanner, because that will give you a
12: whole different perspective on okay. this entire debate. Dana? Well, she, um, that was just going to mention that to Cori Bush's point, if you follow her logic, to the extent there is any, routine traffic stops should end. Mm-hmm. And why do you have routine traffic stops? Well, because there was a call and it says this could be a problem. It turns out, actually, the feds just um, arrested right before we came on air a, a straw gun purchaser. So somebody bought the gun for the guy. Now that guy's in trouble as well. Um, and her brother, uh, the officer's brother, said, he is an iraq war veteran so this this family was all about public service and he was devastated he said like the god took the wrong kid is what he said here and i thought that the police superintendent there he said no one's going to march or protest yes for her and and that's a shame i'm not i, I don't know i'm not suggesting people <laughs> protest and march in the street or right i'm not suggesting that but he makes a really good point on where we put our values
14: You know, uh, Jessica, Mayor Lori Lightfoot wants to move this away from being a political issue, at least the defund the police political issue. She wants to actually focus it on a different political issue. Let's watch what she had to say, and I'll get your response.
12: The police are not our enemies. They're human, just as we are. Flawed, just as we are. We have a common enemy. It's the guns and
14: the gangs. See, Jessica, this is a story about guns. It is a political issue, but not defund the police, gun control. I,
8: it's all the things. And I wish that people, it takes too long, unfortunately. I mean, we have an hour show, which is a huge privilege to be able to revisit topics and to get everyone's opinion on that. And Unfortunately, that's just not how the news works. And there are so many tragic angles to this. And yes, Guns are part of the problem, and someone who sold a gun to someone who had a felony uh, charge beforehand, and that person's going to be in trouble as well. It's a problem that majority of the guns that get used in some of these uh, in these cities come from conservative states with looser laws, and then they get bust across the border, and then they get used in Chicago. Um, but I do want to, I don't want to be like, oh, there's silver lining in this because it's a tragedy to, to lose a life. I'm happy to hear more nuance to these discussions from people in positions of power who are moving away from just straight up like this is about cops that gun down unarmed people that we need to celebrate those in law enforcement who do risk their lives every day. And we also need to talk about the victims, the unarmed victims, but the police officers in the way that they should be. And that's something that Eric Adams, who will go on to be the mayor of New York City, has done really well, where he names the officers who have been shot and gunned down themselves and victims as well
14: you know greg not every story is a media criticism story but to her point to jessica's point in 2019 there were 14 unarmed black men killed by police in that same year 51 officers killed Mm -hmm. in the line of duty i don't think americans understand that context in fact i know they don't if you ask most people how many unarmed black men are killed every year they get it wildly wrong regardless of political affiliation
13: yeah the uh Every time there were riots or demonstrations and arson, what predated it? It was a video of a tragic, ugly uh, uh, event involving either the death of an unarmed uh, suspect. Um, You could like the media, if they wanted to, they could spend two hours every day and look at each case that happens through the year because there's not a lot. There's like if you add the if you add black and white and and I guess other other non-white, it's probably about two dozen, 30 maybe in, in That was 2019 from Washington from the Washington Post data. So I would suggest that, like, yeah, people should get in other people's faces. It's time. It's like if you if the media if we had video of the death of this police officer and we played it as much as the George Floyd video. Mm What would happen? We will never know because that will never happen. We will never treat the death of a police officer as importantly as we would in any other case. I understand it because you could say that, well, one is an authority and one isn't and one is armed and one is. I get it. But if you look at every single one of these cases, they are so nuanced. Right. And it's like and you start saying, okay, now I see this is like a really, really hard job. It's a really hard job. We demonize an entire force. Which then led to this, def- obviously, the defunding, but also the Ferguson effect and the, and the dramatic rise in crime. Meanwhile, and I say this all the time, Lori Lightfoot is depending on what, what, is, what she's calling the national problem of gun violence. That's to paper over the fact that the national problem is crime, right? right? Whenever they talk about crime, they go, that's a local problem, but the guns are a national problem. No, no, no. They're both the same, okay? So they're both a national problem.
14: All right. Up next, so much for facts. First, CNN's Brian Stelter giving the corrupt Cuomo brothers a pass.
0: Getting Schooled is a podcast hosted by Fox Nation's Abby Hornisack. Each week, Abby and her expert guests tackle topics we take for granted and help explain the roots and meanings behind them. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. Rolling, rolling, rolling on the river.
7: CNN is trying to cover for embattled anchor Chris Cuomo while he and his creepy governor brother drown in scandal. Chris is facing mountain criticism for refusing to cover the story, but he is getting some support from the liberal network's so-called media critic. This has been a conundrum for CNN that has no perfect answer, no perfect solution. Some think CNN made it worse by letting Chris interview his brother when COVID-19 was ravaging New York. But that was an unprecedented time period. And so is this one. A famous family in the news, a governor who soared to the highest heights last year, now falling to the lowest lows, self-inflicted wounds and a brother who just wants to do his job, just wants to anchor his show. Mm, Greg, the famous family is having a hard time and, quote, Chris Cuomo has a lot to say, but he cannot say it.
13: I'm having too much pleasure right now from that, from everything he just said. He's the media reporter. Would he have been would he have addressed the nuance of this topic if it had happened at Fox News or all of these? Suddenly he's discovered the complexity of life and the complexity (laughs) of reporting. It didn't before it was just Trump supporters racist. That was so easy. And Fox News should be taken off the air. We didn't need any nuance then. But now I need nuance. My favorite part about it is that. So Stelter, he went to his sources, right? He went to the he went. I don't know. He went into the break room. And he found out that Chris Cuomo just wants to do his job. So I'm beginning, I'm beginning to wonder what his anonymous source, who that was. Yeah. Was, it like, was that like the cafeteria lady or some Italian guy whose brother is governor? Just say, I want to do my job. I, I love that he has. I just love seeing the spotlight turned on them and watching their behavior change. It's, 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 uh, it's refreshing to see them suddenly discover that life isn't as simple as they've been playing it. They have, they have assigned so much simplistic blame to law enforcement for 10 years, right? Yeah, that that was there was no nuance about cops. If there was one cop that did something bad, it was the entire police report, police department that was guilty of systemic racism. Right. That was there was no nuance there. There was no nuance any like a Trump supporter posted a meme. Clearly, that means all Trump supporters are racist. There was never any nuance. Now they figured it out. Good job.
7: So, Will, CNN's trying to make this sound like there's a conflict with Chris Cuomo covering his brother, Andrew Cuomo. Convenient. But that's a very surface level analysis or, or defense of the situation. This is actually about Chris Cuomo writing statements and emails that then the governor's office actually sent out almost verbatim on behalf of the governor during the scandal. So there are layers to this that there. are they're not wanting to get into.
14: First, even on the journalistic ethical level, that's a convenient position to take mm. where you were perfectly fine covering him when he was being lauded and right. given Emmy awards. But now that there's criticism, eh, there should be some conflicts of interest here. But you're absolutely right, Katie. It doesn't stop there because Chris Cuomo is not just covering the story, he is part of the story, yeah. helping mm. to craft the message for Governor Cuomo. You know, I look at this really quickly and I wonder how does Governor Cuomo hold on? Right now, he's lost his political party, he's lost polling in the state of New York, he's lost every legislature. Later, just about in the state and the only answer is the same one that keeps chris cuomo in his job and that is we are watching privilege pay, play out there's someone talk about privilege this is fame a political family these are people born on third race that think they hit a triple and can't imagine now the world is actually going to hold them accountable for something this is completely for both of the brothers a story of privilege
7: so dana you're very good at predictions does the governor stay,
12: or does he go? Well, first of all, I want to say that I actually understood that sports metaphor, and I'm very <laughs> proud of myself. It was a very good one, a very good one. Um, I think a couple of things happened that we have to keep in mind. So uh, his chief of staff resigned today, so not only has he lost all the people that Will just mentioned, but when she, who enabled a lot of this, realizes that she better hop off of this train and try to save herself if she can, um, because she's also going to be a witness in all of this. Mm-hmm. So, she, so she left. Um, The other thing I did not realize is that once impeachment starts in the state of New York, he has to step aside as governor. Okay, it's not like when we saw the Congress impeach the president twice where he's like still at the White House and it's over because we know it's not going to pass. It's no big deal. He actually has to leave. So I do think that because you saw his team float an idea today, a deal in which he basically would say to the state legislature, I promise not to run for a fourth term if you don't try to impeach me. Hmm. To me, that means I think that he knows, one, he's not running for a fourth term anyway. And two, he knows if he gets impeached, it's all over. And he knows he's going to get impeached. So I think that I don't know how he leaves, but he leaves. So, Jessica, there was another big resignation as well today.
7: Uh, the leader of the Time's Up movement, which is supposed to be about defending women from sexual harassment and sexual assault at work, Roberta Kaplan. She actually was helping Governor Cuomo go after the women who were accusing him of doing all these things and corroborated in this report that we saw come out. So there's that layer of it, too, as well as this Times Up Hollywood movement that was on the left that was supposed to be standing up for women. And the woman who was running the show was actually helping to smear the reputations of the women coming forward.
8: Well, I think that this is really a continuation of the story that we've been seeing in the aftermath of, you know, the beginning of Time's Up, where people realized, actually, these stories are incredibly textured And they're different in cases like, do you remember at the beginning that suddenly like Harvey Weinstein and Al Franken are the same person, which is like so unbelievably ludicrous. And I'm sure that Al Franken is still sitting there going like, I cannot believe that I resigned Mm -hmm. right after what we have seen happen since there. So I think it was right for her to resign. And and I do as someone, well, the only member of the Liberal Party (laughs) at the table, I can tell you that people who have the same politics of me, have really shifted away from believing in organizations or supporting organizations to moving to case-by-case basis. This is what I think about this particular instance. And Greg and I were talking about this before we came out here. When The Governor Cuomo scandals shifted from the nursing homes to me, too. That's when I said this is not going to end well for him, because I think that people were a lot more comfortable and felt like there was more fodder to go after him on this, where it seems. I mean, these are very real accusations. And Tish James, it it did not make her happy, I'm sure, to have to release that report. There were like 11 plus women. So they knew that this was something that all of society can get behind, right? This is something that we have come out with. And you're going to have President Biden, who was forced to, and I'm sure he called Cuomo ahead of time and said, I said on Stephanopoulos, if the report is bad, that you're going. And that was the standard you wanted us to hold you to. And I've known you for decades and I loved your dad, but this is the standard that we've set for well, the, the White Party. House has denied that the president
7: has called Andrew Cuomo Sorry, directly. I, I do not you have any directly. information. It I, just bet he to, they have I bet he didn't. I bet the
12: prime minister called.
7: The prime, yeah, Ron Klain may have called. But the I other like, thing on the really? nursing home issue is it wasn't <laughs> just calls? Andrew Cuomo. It was a number of Democratic governors who were also involved. <laughs> but once again, in the nursing home thing. So nuance. it's
8: easy to walk away from we that. We now there have promise. nuance. The there was a Republican the complexity. I love nuance, though. We
7: I know, but well.
13: before, we before we didn't have any nuance. Now we have nuance.
8: Lots of nuance.
7: Up next, <laughs> the, runaway, the runaway Texas Democrats now suing Governor Greg Abbott for getting this, violating their constitutional rights.
0: I think it's for the summer for the summer I like girls I she's been gone since that summer it's the hammer time podcast Fox News channels bill hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day find hammer time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com America's listening to Fox News The
13: runaway Texas Democrats who brought COVID to D.C. are now suing Governor Greg Abbott and other Republican leaders for trying to bring them back to the state. Almost two dozen of the Dems claim they've been, quote, deprived of liberty. Are they in jail? I don't know. For substantial periods of time, suffered much anxiety and distress (laughs) over the separation from their families. Should interview their families. And much discomfort and embarrassment. Meanwhile, a judge issued an order that blocks the Democrats from being arrested so they'll be able to return home soon. All right, uh, Dana, um, yeah. they're deprived of their freedoms.
14: <laughs> how, is, yeah.
12: how is that
13: possible? Is Are they mess. in jail?
12: This is the um, the, the Texas TikTok Democrats, like, the worst political stunt in the history of political stunts and yeah. has now turned into the most ridiculous nuisance lawsuit Ever to be filed.
13: What is, the, what is their uh, premise for the lawsuit? Okay. I, I hope that it involves racism?
12: Well of, well, of course, and other <laughs> things. So I, I, I'm just going to borrow from Byron York, who did a thread on this on Twitter. So if you want to go to his Twitter feed, you can see the whole thing. I'll just mention a couple of things. One of the things that they write is that uh, their constitutional rights on, were violated on the basis of race in that and I'm quoting. Certain plaintiffs are either black or white.
14: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
12: okay. Um, that, they also <laughs> That's claim, all you need. They also claim that, um, that they've been violated on the basis of creed. Okay, creed, and that plaintiffs have expressive faith or belief that every eligible citizen has a right to vote.
13: Wow, that's a, that's almost so idiotic. I almost admire it. It's,
12: well, you got you, in a but way you understand that they have it. nothing. They they got they ha, they. This is the worst stunt. They got on a plane maskless. They drank a bunch of booze. They had so much <laughs> fun. They they put their dirty laundry up for everybody to see. Yeah. They <laughs> asked for care packages. Yes. Then a couple of them had non-refundable tickets to Port- Portugal, mm. and their excuse for going to Portugal is that. Yes, we agree that democracy hangs in the balance, but we had non-refundable tickets. Yes. <laughs>
13: I mean, this is... This is... It's, you know what? It's <laughs> the airline's fault. It's these non-refundable tickets. They're a scam. They force you to... You buy them and then you can't
14: refund them. Well, what were you going to say? You were going to say this is, uh, is... this? No, don't dismiss them when they give away the game. So they said that their political opinion is essentially their creed. The creed. It is their their faith. It is their religion. And therefore, their political opinion is their protected class. Right. They're giving away the game as they speak here. Um, it's truly rich. It's a wonderful, rich <laughs> argument. Yes, I shot that cop, and I ran, but you chasing me has now violated my civil rights. Yeah. And I feel like my constitutional rights have been violated. I broke the law. I'll give it to you. I broke the law, but you shouldn't be pursuing me. That's I, their argument. By the way, that's not
13: that far off since we're no longer really pursuing people because we don't want to cause any problems, <laughs> and that's probably racist, too. Jessica... Uh, Wow. shouldn't they just go home can't they read the room that is the united states we all have problems right now with life and and covid and stuff and they're just like they're kind of like they're a circus rather than we can't be take, we can't take them seriously
8: well it's also at this point a bankrupted circus yeah. because there was a ton of attention the first week right? they had <laughs> meetings yeah. it's like barnum and bailey's i think is out yeah. of business right so yeah. they Love Surf to Soleil, Barnum Bailey's was fun too, but that's Mm -hmm. like where we are at this point where there's not an appetite for it because life has gone on and very serious things have happened like people are dying of COVID, a police officer was shot and killed, like we're trying to get kids back to school, all of these things and they should go back and from the get go. I felt like a. This is going to backfire, and B. Stand your ground on the floor, filibuster, and give one of those crazy Wendy Davis like twenty four hour long speeches about voting rights, and you will get coverage for that, which is the core if issue. If you wear pink shoes, yeah, pink running shoes. I wear pink. Oh, pink
2: shoes I are forgot right. about I, I,
14: her.
13: What was her name?
8: Davis? Was a, Wendy, Wendy Davis, Davis. Speaking yes. of Texas People political stunts. Yes, yes. Her pink shoes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is a distraction from what we're talking about. Pink shoes are great. reason right. we're talking about her. <laughs> there was a lot that you could do to to make your political point without getting lost in the tailwinds of this
13: day like oh it's the best katie isn't this this is almost as funny as watching the cuomo brothers implode it's
7: it's, yes Will i have a quick question what is the beer in texas what's the shiner okay so you're allowed to maybe drink shiner on the floor in the the texas house but you're not allowed to drink miller light apparently because that's why they all left to try to come to dc while they got on this private plane The funniest part about this is that they all portrayed themselves as fighters and martyrs. Yes. They've had a really tough time. They caused a crisis for the Biden administration. They caused multiple days of distractions at the White House press briefing for the president and the press secretary trying to answer questions about what they were doing there. They they met with the vice president, testified for COVID. The whole thing's a disaster. And then they fled to Europe. Mm. Uh, So (laughs) it's a beautiful
14: story. It really is. Not the fighters the Texans
7: want representing them, and they should have brought Shiner to really represent.
14: Or Lone Star. Nothing snooty. Yeah. (laughs) All right, the fastest sevens up next.
0: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
8: Welcome back. It's time for The Fastest. First up, have you ever dreamed about living on Mars but dreaded the nine-month commute? (laughs) Well, NASA has the solution for you. The Space Agency is looking for volunteers to live in isolation in a 1,700-foot fake Martian habitat for a year here on Earth. Isn't that exciting?
14: That's what everybody's been doing for 18 months. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just realized you're in isolation? We're done. Experiment <laughs> over. We've been to Mars. <laughs> there you go. We just we have- saved billions of dollars. Yeah. yeah.
13: Perhaps trillions.
8: Should we go to the next topic? Uh, <laughs> no,
13: no, I OK. What I find interesting about this is this is a simulation yep. of Mars. So what does that tell you? That what we're doing right now is obviously started as a simulation to see if we could live on earth whoa yes so what we are now talking about a simulation within a simulation we are sitting here right now we are part of a test to see if we can actually live on the other earth we just don't know that oh, i know and i'm not even wow. high
7: the uh, other thank earth?
8: you for that disclaimer
13: yes mars is-
7: <laughs> but mars is nothing like earth yes no. at all That's <laughs> how are they gonna do it there's no water really there's some water but it's all
12: frozen well, it's also right? it's like if you have to stay inside the whole time, I and mean, when you go to What's Mars, point? you have to stay inside the whole time. I'm going to hard pass on that. Yeah. Right, it's no like but it's like the nice window the is. looking. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a
7: it's a cool thing. T-
2: it's a to great view. Out at There's yeah. a lot of yeah.
7: places in northern Arizona and southern Utah that look a lot like Mars. Yeah. That's where right? they tested all these true. rovers. So if you want a, a, a quicker trip,
8: you can go. With it
7: there. would definitely
13: be a red state, though, right? Definitely Mars. Definitely. Yes.
8: That's I mean, funny, right? I don't know what yeah. it is. Anymore. <laughs> I just said the like weird thing. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. Yes. laughs> uh-huh. um, okay. Next up, a woman is reportedly suing McDonald's because their burgers are too tempting. She claims to have broken Lent because McDonald's ad she saw was too enticing and convinced her <laughs> to get a cheeseburger. Do ads like this
7: work? Oh. For She's got to take this up with the Lord, the Good Lord. <laughs> you know, I don't think that that's going to be an excuse for breaking Lent. <laughs> but it is. Like quite- it's all about will, right? And, That's and what I hear. sacrifice.
13: <laughs> so not me. Yeah, the producer <laughs> goes, "Go
14: to Will. It's
13: all about Will. Will, what did you do?"
14: Yeah. <laughs> the director knew that when you cut to me, director. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those advertisements we were just playing, by the way, not too appetizing. Those certainly weren't the ones that enticed her to break lint. Yeah, I'm are, with you, Katie. She's are not there gonna...
8: any ones that get you? Because uh, well, we we're just talking about
14: industry. this. Greg, Greg has never seen an ad for food that, that would, sucked you
13: in. No, not at all. So I, I, she broke land and then she broke wind. Anyway, <laughs> this is Russia, by the way. Yeah. This yeah. is Russia. So I was thinking this had to be a Texas Democrat for the lawsuit. <laughs> but it's in right? Russia, right. Doing Russia how much they love McDonald's is oh, just beyond belief. They will wait for hours.
8: I went to the first McDonald's that ever got to Russia yeah. in Moscow. And it, it's, gore, I mean, they did it right. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. gold, but it how was the indoor playground? I can't fit. It's called, <laughs> it's called the gulag.
13: It, it has all the balls, but you're, you're in prison.
8: You
12: can never leave.
13: <laughs> you can never leave. And are there
12: any food well, commercials what, that get you? Uh, food commercials. I, I, I typically don't like picture food. Like when you go on vacation oh. and then you see in the menu? Like, on the menu and then the, there's pictures of it. I hate picture food. Uh, that's not usually my thing. But, I, as, yeah, I guess. So, like, the, some steakhouses will get me. You know, yeah. like Outback Steakhouse, they got some good ads. The blue here's onion. what I would say. This person's uh, lawsuit, whoever made the ads... They need to put this on the top of their LinkedIn page and their yeah. resume, and you made a great ad. And that's what I would just live on that for the rest of my life. Did you see the damages
14: she was asking for? No, how though? much is it? $14. Yeah, which is like 70 million she rubles. Got, she, she just got the reason for the lawsuit. Yeah. The and attention.
8: if it were here, it would be like a billion dollars <laughs> because of how litigious we And are. they probably would have paid Hot coffee. <laughs> probably would
13: have paid Oh, this it goes in. back to McDonald's. The hot coffee. That's that was right. the first one. That's right.
7: But that was real,
8: though.
1: Yeah, that was real.
8: Okay. <laughs> we have time for one <laughs> We do not have any more time. Uh, One more thing is up next.
13: (laughs) This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, which might be the only place you can hang out with 10 other people and not get arrested these days. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.
12: It's time now for your favorite segment. One more thing. Um, I'm going to start off. I want to congratulate my friend Chris Blair on the opening of the second location in Tennessee of The Listening Room. Uh, this is a great place where you can go and hear singer-songwriters talk about the, song, the stories behind how the country music you love Got awesome born really so there's one in nashville which i love but this one this new one is in pigeon forge tennessee yes. and it opened this weekend and if you love country music you should really make a plan to go and visit i heard it was great oh cool. yeah,
13: yeah great definitely. Hmm. all right oh well, let's do this i was trying to think of something animals crude to say right? and i'm glad i <laughs> decided i chose not I to i caught myself you know my life is 90 percent trying to reach a scratch you know, I swear short to God, arms. I have a cry of a scratch right now and I can't get to it because of my short, stupid arms. God gave me an itchy back and short arms. This is why you need one of these things. Check out this fella. Uh, this turtle knew what to do or whoever. He's got like he built this, got Uh-oh, this little contraption. And he scratches the underside and, it's the, like a car and the top. Wash. Yeah, it's like a car wash for somebody who's so got dry skin. But I don't know why it's on his shell. I don't know how that helps his shell. Maybe he can feel it through the shell. Is that a boot cleaner? Yeah, I don't know, but I think he's flirting with us, shaking that
12: ass. He's got a quick at it, too, for a turtle.
2: Uh, All right, Jessica,
12: what
8: do you have? Uh, Nothing turtle scratching or (laughs) ASS related. Uh, Finally, Olympic basketball was on at a normal TV time, and I was glued to both the USA men's and women's gold medal games this weekend, and they did not disappoint. Both won gold, with Kevin Durant leading the men to a close win over France and earning his third gold medal. He's now the most decorated basketball Olympian alongside Carmelo Anthony. Hmm. And veterans Sue Bird and Diana Tarazzi pulled out all the stops to earn their fifth gold medals. Bird said this was her last Olympics, while Tarazi added, see you in Paris, where the mm. 22, 2024 games are. Congratulations to both teams and something cool. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are now the first teammates to win both the NBA finals and Olympic gold in the same year since Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Look at oh, you. Wow. Big NBA fan. I, I saw you on the list and I was yeah. like, I got to show Will Kane then I
7: came
12: I to know. play. That was super. You impressive. really bring you the brought, sports. You brought your one more thing game.
7: <laughs> Katie. Impressive. All right. So I know that I told you guys, I think two weeks ago that I sucked at fishing and I never catch anything. Well, this guy is the opposite of me and he is from Missouri and he set a new state record with this massive fish and also qualify for a new world record. Jeez. It's a carp and he didn't reel this thing in on a typical rod and reel. He was bow fishing when he shot the 125 pound 5 ounce awesome. carp. He thought he was shooting a 30 pound Grass carp, when they, but when they tried to pull it out of the water, they realized it was huge. He called it a, quote, straight-up monster. So congratulations for what setting you think, Will? the state's
13: think record. think See You're what they did Is with their lower third? Good luck the A little wordplay the there.
12: there. Good, damn, love it. Yeah, there we you have, go. There we have very... We have very clever producers, excellent producers, love our producers. Uh, Will, you're
14: nice. Um, but I would have been more impressed if he noodled that fish. You yeah, know that, that would have been impossible. What's a noodle? That's when you Tho- stick your arm. The catfish bury themselves in dams, and they get very large, and you stick your arm into their burrow, <laughs> into the hole. They bite your arm. You grab their insides. You pull them out. You wrestle them out. Uh. Let's and
8: then, that's mean, then it doesn't hurt?
14: Well, I mean, that's kind of an anticlimactic end of the story. But you got to <laughs> first wrestle him. I mean, I imagine they eat him. Yeah. It's not, that's
12: not like catch and release. People eat catfish.
14: No. Yeah. Yeah, I love Catfish. It's great. Yuck. By the way, speaking of catch, catch and release, <laughs> look at this segue right here. This guy was wandering around a Ralph's grocery store in Los Angeles. That's it. Oh, wow. Man. Oh, my. That video was captured by actress Tisha Campbell. So everybody in the store was pretty, pretty laid back about this. In fact, I think That's many like people it. tried to pet him.
12: Aww. Oh,
7: no. do well,
13: pet a, him. He's what do cum. you think he
14: was looking for? You know, so
13: good qu- honey, fish, hair removal.
12: You heard Carp. you can steal things now, so he went in yeah. to try and give it a shot. Do we have that video of the LA, the, the Los Angeles lady, or the whatever, the little girl, maybe? Or anyway, or we can just keep looking Are you at doing the a bear. Show? I mean, I like him. no, I, was, I have thirty. I, we never have thirty seconds left. He
7: looks so very hungry.
14: Yes, not that's why you only got four seconds advise. of that. Because somebody was eaten. I would advise petting we, a bear. No, but he's a baby, so you're probably going to pull it off. Oh no, yeah, a mama he,
12: somewhere. what do you think his no, mom said scary. to him when he like? Uh, uh, you can't be hanging around with those people. <laughs>
8: I wish we had ten seconds like in A Abram, when they're cutting you off. You know.
2: <laughs>
13: Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com.
11: Monday, August 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser. It's Monday. It's Jason. How are you? Happy Monday. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing all right. We've got Berkshire Hathaway's latest results. We are going to talk small cap tech, but we will begin with digital ads. The trade desk's second quarter revenue was double what it was a year ago. It was double, and their guidance was good. And despite that, shares of the trade desk down a little bit this morning although I will point out that uh, it's it's bounced back up from where it was at the open which anytime I see that the you know the immediate reaction the pre-market activity is worse than what it ends up being during the day it makes me wonder if um, at first blush maybe this wasn't what Wall Street was looking for and then they dig in a little deeper and they're like oh th- this was pretty good.
10: Yeah, I mean, it's that's the the trick with pre market and aftermarket. Depending on when the company announces, I mean, obviously there are always going to be knee jerk reactions. Reactions from investors just that are operating on a different timeline. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of a lot of the the money that's <laughs> controlled out there these days are run, uh, running on a very a much shorter timeline than we tend to operate on. So uh, y- you try to look past that, and I've I've always said I I focus more on making sure that the company that management is doing what they say they're going to do and, and hitting the targets that they set. Uh, to me that's far more important than than the arbitrary numbers that you get from uh the street so to speak it's not to say those are irrelevant but they they're just they're just based on a much shorter timeline they typically don't tell the whole story and so i mean i think with trade desk it is a business that has not only set itself up for success, uh, it's also a business in in transition, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. I think when you look at the numbers, uh, I mean, the numbers were terrific. They, they exceeded the guidance that management set out a quarter ago. Revenue more than doubled uh, from a year ago uh, to $280 million for the quarter, and, and earnings per share followed suit. Customer attention remained very strong, over 95% for the quarter, uh, the way it has for the the previous seven years, I think. I mean, this company has just, for, for the longest time, just done so well retaining its business and growing uh, relationships with its customers. And then the investments that they're making in... Uh, the Universal ID 2.0—that's this alternative to third-party cookies. They launched their Solomar platform, which is ultimately—it's—it's uh, it's just another way for advertiser advertisers to to onboard to to get that the first-party data that's so important to them. Um, better measurement, better gold settings. So this is just a business that continues to reinvest in itself. And, and given the profitability of the business already, the cash flow nature of the business already, I mean, it it makes a lot of money. And so, I, you know, the, the, the valuation has always been seemingly a little bit stretched, but I think it's been stretched for really good reasons. I mean, you've got a company that is, is keying in on a big market opportunity uh, with good financials and, and continuing to iterate and evolve and bring new tools uh, to its, its biggest advertising partners. So, yeah, I, I think that market reaction today notwithstanding, investors and in the trade desk, and, and I'm one, you got to feel really good about what this business is doing.
11: So in terms of the the business of the trade desk transitioning like what what should people be watching for you know there there are a lot of businesses in a lot of industries that try and either expand what they're doing increase their optionality sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't what what are you going to be watching with the trade desk
10: um, I, I think it'll be a couple of things in particular. Number one, management every every quarter really they continue to, to hammer home this idea that um, the the advertising supported video on demand market is going to outpace the growth of subscription video on demand over the coming years. That that is the basis of this business, right? I mean, advertising supported video on demand. I mean, that's that's what they do, and I, I think that it it's very easy for us in our sort of domestic box here to view subscription as superior because you're able to avoid ads for the most part um I- when you look at it from a global perspective, though, I mean it's, it's far different, right? I mean there are a lot of a lot of a lot of economies out there, a lot of consumers that are far more economically sensitive uh, than than perhaps we are here. So advertising is, is video on demand is certainly a, a, a more attractive value proposition in many cases, and I think also a lot of the services that we're seeing rolled out here, even domestically, are incorporating advertising level tiers, um, and so to me we we'll want to continue to see that that advertising video on demand uh, growth uh continue we want to see that that continue to outpace uh, subscription um and then also just the 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 buy in in regard to this UID 2.0 right this universal ID the more partners the more customers that buy into this idea Um, that see the value in this concept. I think the more uh, that really validates the work that the Trade Desk is doing, and to that point, they uh, noted a a few more partners that really bought on uh, over this past quarter. I mean, Omnicon Group, one AMC Networks bought in, um, even Snowflake. I mean, Snowflake, with that, that Snowflake's data cloud. I mean, You've got companies buying into this notion that, that UID 2.0 is is uh, a, a good alternative to those third party cookies. And uh, the more the more buy in you see there, then that just sort of creates a little bit of a flywheel. And we love to see those flywheels, right? So uh, those are a couple of things I think worth keeping an eye on.
11: Sorry about the noise in the background. Um, let's move on to SIVA. Shares of SIVA down 4 or 5% this morning. Um, we talked about this company back in February, it's a small tech company market cap of around a billion dollars. They own a portfolio of intellectual property serving the semiconductor industry. How did the second quarter look to you?
10: Yeah, the second quarter looked great. I mean, this is a neat little business. And when I say little, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there, right? I mean, just breaking through $100 million in annual revenue here uh, recently. And so, Siva operates a licensing and royalty business model, and they ultimately uh, are getting technology into the silicon that gets out there into all sorts of different devices and applications. Uh, like AR and VR and artificial intelligence and 5G, Internet of Things, robotics. I mean, Siva has a wide reach there. Um, and I mean, when you talk about a customer base, it's a very large and broad one. Every every everyone from Broadcom and Cirrus Logic to Intel, iRobot, Nokia, Samsung, Sony. I mean, you're going to find that Siva-owned technology in a lot of the technology that you use on any given day. And so, again, I mean, a a company where management setting expectations and then exceeding those expectations, revenue for the quarter of $30.5 million was up 29% from a year ago. Now, if you back out a a royalty payment that they received, uh, it, it was it was a one-time royalty payment that was ultimately the resolution of a dispute. That growth was only 16.5%. But, I mean, it was still royalty revenue, right? It was revenue they were going to get one way or the other. So that's more of a timing thing than anything else. But, um, I mean, they, they see all-time record high shipments of Bluetooth technology, Wi-Fi, cellular IoT devices. Um, and, and we saw also uh, some, some new licensing agreements for the quarter. They signed 17 licensing agreements. Um, six of those were with first time customers and geographically uh, nicely diversified as well. Um, over the quarter, they made an acquisition of a little company called Intrinsics, and that's going to give SIVA more exposure to the aerospace and defense. In uh, space markets, and, and those are obviously uh, very, very big and, and fairly reliable markets. So that's encouraging as well. Uh, so, so all things considered, I mean, this is the big picture thesis on a business like this. Is if you believe in this concept of connectivity, right? If you think that we are becoming more tech enabled and connectivity is only become is only becoming more and more uh, ubiquitous, well, then then Siva is is a company that should benefit from those tailwinds, and it it. it you know continues to look like they do benefit from these tailwinds um, and so it's it 's one i 've enjoyed following and uh while it's it 's very small obviously it is one that 's going to be a little bit more volatile uh trading volumes are much lower, so you see some some bigger price swings uh it's it 's one that I continue to say i mean you, you need you need patience with a business like this this is one of those those types of, of companies where you buy it and you own it. You plan on holding this thing for the next 10 years, maybe. I know that sounds like a long time, but that, frankly, is how you need to look at a business like this, because we're looking at, ultimately, uh, a business that should remain very relevant, even as we move beyond 5G into 6G, 7G, and and so forth. I mean, Siva is going to own this technology uh, that should remain relevant for, for a long time to come, and those licensing and royalty business models they produce some really, really healthy margins. I mean, that's a 90% gross margin business. I mean, that's just, you don't see those off often. And so when you find them, you need to at least take note.
11: How confident are you that in 10 years, it's going to still be a standalone company because it's small enough and they're doing (laughs) enough interesting things that one of my thoughts looking at CV is boy, someone with deep pockets has to be looking at this business.
10: I feel like you're right. I mean, given the size, it would just be a, it would be, a, it would amount to a bolt-on acquisition for a lot of of bigger players out there in the tech space. I mean, it, it wouldn't take anything just to just to buy this company up and and add it to your to your portfolio. Uh, so I, I didn't didn't make the recommendation based on that. But when I was doing the research for this business, that was one thing that kept on coming back to my mind. Was like I just it really feels like, given the technology that they own, given the numbers that they continue to report, and, and given how many devices this company is in, given this, this company's technology is in, it, it, it's difficult for me to imagine in 10 years that it wouldn't be snapped up. Uh, but stranger things have happened, certainly.
11: Speaking of deep pockets, Berkshire Hathaway's second quarter profits were 7% higher than a year ago. And we can talk about the reopening boosting Berkshire's railroad and energy businesses but this really seems increasingly like a share buyback story <laughs> this i mean they are buffett and munger are sticking to their guns in terms of not overpaying for acquisitions their cash pile is only getting larger even with the share buybacks i think it's 140 billion dollars now yeah and look i'm not if you're a shareholder, I mean the, the stock's up what twenty three percent this year. Yeah, uh, you know, like it, it, um, you know it's not exciting, but <laughs> but a stock going north is. True.
10: Yep. Stock going up is, is, is an interesting and noteworthy uh, stock, right? That's one that, that makes you smile. Um, and, and I think that with Berkshire Hathaway, we're kind of getting what we more or less expect, I think, with a business like this at this point in its life. Um, not lighting the world on fire, but but still doing well. I mean, you look at the, the last three and five years, I believe it's underperformed the market a little bit, but you stretch that timeline further out and it starts to look better. And that's that's kind of the idea behind this. Business, I mean, you, you you look at a business like this, and you, you sort of own it for a long, long time, and you never really worry about it. And um, and this quarter, I I think really explained why. I mean, you saw a nice bounce back from what was a difficult year last year. Uh, operating earnings up twenty one percent from a year ago uh, because of, of of what you noted there performance in energy railroads. I mean, obviously, insurance is going to be a little bit more reliable. Uh, but yeah, it does feel like this is a. It does feel like this is a story where the, the conversation is going to become more and more about how do we return value to shareholders. And I know there are a lot of folks out there who would love to see Berkshire start paying a dividend. Um, I kind of feel like that would make sense at this point for them. I'm not a shareholder of Berkshire Hathaway, but it feels like they could they could do that, and and, and it would it would. Probably make a lot of investors feel feel pretty good <laughs> uh, because they are repurchasing a ton of stock. To your point there, that the, they repurchased six billion dollars in, in stock uh during the quarter. I think that brings the six-month total to better than twelve billion, basically on track for what they did last year. Um so yeah, they're not gonna go out there and overpay for anything. And and it's it's a market where valuations are stretched really in a lot of ways. And it it feels like they just believe that Berkshire Hathaway today represents a better value than most of what's out there. And I mean, I can respect that. Whether you agree with it or not, that's a different story entirely. But these guys are running the show, and they have a pretty good idea of what the business is doing. And and I think uh, they are very disciplined investors. To me, I think the interesting uh, question for Berkshire Hathaway really is what this company looks like in the future. I mean, at some point or another, it boils down to Greg Abel as the CEO and Todd and Ted uh, leading the way with those investment portfolios. So, yeah, You have to feel like there is going to be a pivot maybe towards tech or towards more forward-looking ideas. Um, whether that happens or not, I guess, remains to be seen. I feel like it it has to at some point. Uh, which, which, you know, what does this business look like then? Because if you have these cash cow insurance businesses, and you have some folks who feel more comfortable investing in tech, where I mean, Munger and Buffett really—that's that's not really been their forte. I mean, they've been very clear about that. Um, and, you know, th- this could be this could be a little bit of a different looking investment portfolio here over the coming decade. Um, it's sort of a Berkshire Hathaway 2.0, so to speak, which could be exciting for investors. I think.
11: It could, and you know, I don't want to knock the underlying business. I mean, you look at sort of the the profits generated from operations this quarter. You know, it looked good. That's what's fueling. That's what's funding the share buyback. So they, you know, they've done such a good job finding and acquiring all these businesses that generate cash. It's just that for about a year now, this has been the dominant story with you know with this stock. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sure if I were a shareholder, I'd be perfectly fine with this. Um, but just as someone who, you know, is not a shareholder, I'm like, really, you don't want to spend any, of- <laughs> you don't want to take 28 billion and go buy McCormick and get it's some spice be, in that.
10: <laughs> it's gotta be some, right? I mean, Siva, like it just, it's just like, uh, you, they'd find that underneath the couch cushions, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's really I, You wonder what goes on behind closed doors. I mean, allocating capital is difficult. And the bigger you get, uh, the more difficult it gets, particularly if you have such a long track record of success because expectations are even higher. right? I mean, people expect you to do something genius because you're Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Investing is as easy or as difficult as you want to make it. And it feels like right now, they're just trying to keep things simple. I mean, they see the most value in their stock and their company and um, I, yeah, again we could argue whether that actually is the case or not uh but it's in line I think with what they've historically done with their with their uh with the way that they've they've typically invested so it's not surprising to see um But yeah, again, I just I think it's going to be really neat to follow this story over the coming 10 years and and beyond just to see what this next iteration of Berkshire Hathaway is going to look like, because um, it just feels like there's a ton of potential there.
11: Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here.
10: Yes, sir. Thank you.
11: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, on The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of market The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.